All right, get more Marvel and RMD when you head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital. Pledge anywhere between $1 to $10 a month and help us stay on the air. It's the only way we can stay on the air is with the support of our listeners. So please consider heading over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital, and pledge. We now offer annual subscriptions as well. So if you want to get a whole entire year of support out there for us, 10 bucks under that dollar tier. And I won't nag you anymore. <laughs> if you want to get some more behind the scenes, $3 a month or $30 a year. If you want even more, $5 a month or $50 for the year. And over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. Oh! Oh, hello. All right, let's do this one last time. Warning. Marvel and R&D contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended. As I told you a long time ago. Go fuck yourself. I got invitations right here. Enough for everybody. Are you ready? I was born ready, motherfucker. Spider-Man giving a job to you. I play the long game, Mr. Castle. That's my secret, Captain. Under roof! So many snacks, so many can die. We're in the end game now. He looks like an asshole. He's a criminal, that's who he is. I am. Well, that's just as fascinating as the first 89 times you told me that. Welcome, everyone, to Marvel Unarmed presents the Blood Rave, the Hellstrom edition. I am Michael Flores, your host, and I am doo-wopping <laughs> to the Hellstrom thing and dancing very close to me right now, Hederally. is David. Hello, David. Tip to tip. No, that's not Heatherly. <laughs> Jesus. Break caller. <laughs> Restart the show. <laughs> uh, no joke, though. This might be one of my favorite things on TV right now. It's really surprised me that it, it, after the first, the first one, I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of quirky. And then you get to the second episode. I'm like, going, I actually think this is awesome. Yeah, it's really good. There's a subtleness to it in an age where every Marvel TV show and comic book TV show has those over the top epic themes. I mean, even Daredevil was fucking great. Yeah, but it was epic. Yeah, this is just slow. It's subtle. Mm -hmm. It has it actually helps with the tone of the show. Oh, yeah. It works in tandem with it. So I love it. The amazing part about like the, the way this song is so unique when I think about it. There's no, when you think of all the Marvel series, all of them, even down to some of their great movies, I mean, everyone constantly points at the Avengers theme, right? Everything has to sound epic and drums and basically these deep basses. And then suddenly Hellstrom comes in and says, eh, let's do a little doo-wop. Yeah, we don't need that for <laughs> Hellstrom. <laughs> we don't need that for Hellstrom. We have something called good writing. Good writing yeah. and uh, really good horror elements. Yeah. All right, so today you and I are going to be talking about Viaticum. Did I say that? Did I really butcher that? I think I did. I think you did, but it's Latin, I, I, I believe. Uh, Viaticum? Yeah. Via Listen, it's Latin and it's a dead language. Let's just be honest. <laughs> the director is Anders uh, Ingstrom, and it's written by Blair Butler. The synapsis, a horrific accident, leads Damon and Gabriella fighting to save a man's soul. While a dark force attempts to stop them. Okay, so this episode, Dave, it really didn't waste a moment. No, it did not. This one is also much better than the previous episode. And I enjoyed the previous episode. I enjoyed the previous episode too, but this actually feels like this should have been episode one. I, or at least combined, meshed some elements together. I definitely would agree with that. Episode one did a fairly decent job getting things set up you know you have the questions the characters but this one took all that setup fleshed it out and then expanded on it it yeah. was a proper second episode oh absolutely i mean like that opening scene and on my notes i have it listed right here is that 
was one of the best tone setters for a scene that I've ever seen. God, I love it too. Like the 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 whole thing where Anna is being led. It's just wrong in the woods. It's wrong and twisted. Yeah, and then when you actually put it into context, is that's her father that's leading her. Yeah. Then you begin to realize, like, the one of the things from episode one that mean you were thinking is, oh, he's simply a uh, a serial killer. Right. Well, simply. Just simply. simply. <laughs> but, like, here in the opening scene, you get a sense that, no, he's more than just what he appears to be. Well, he is a, a special type of badness. and Okay, evilness, but... Yeah, evilness, yeah. But the fact that... It feels like he's grooming or he was trying to groom his daughter. Yeah. That he would take her on these killing sprees and keep her in the backseat of the car while he is essentially burying the people he murdered. What a strong way to open the teaser and also very stylized with the track from the cranberries. Mm -hmm. I got to give my hats off to or kudos. I got to give kudos to the the showrunner. Because they're choosing some really cool stylized moments as well. Their soundtrack is on point because soundtrack, if you're going to use actual real world music, you have to be very meticulous how you pick those tracks to make sure they don't detract from the tone. Mm -hmm. And yet that Cranberries track, which I'll post a link to (laughs) in our uh, uh, when the show goes on demand, I'll post it on the within the website it's it's just it's it's great. I mean, everything about building up that tone, that intro was really, really important. The best moments, honestly, of this episode were the moments surrounding Anna. Yes, she's absolutely very intriguing, a very intriguing character. She seems to have the most baggage and she keeps it to herself almost as if she is ashamed but at the same time she also wears it as a badge of honor yeah it's almost like she embraces it more than damon does yeah, we all know those people that consider it uh a strength hey i have horrible things in my life and i'm not gonna share it with you it's only for me and i'm gonna wear it like we all know those people and that's definitely anna yes is she there's almost a sense of say i don't want to say honor because that's definitely not the right word but there's a sense of comfort knowing or being a part of something like that and i know that sounds awful but sometimes when you're an abuse victim you find comfort within the abuse yeah sadly it's very psychological and that's what they're doing with this character she doesn't appear to be the type of person to share anything about her feelings she keeps things buried deep and understandably so um we do find out as we had said just a few moments ago we find out that her father the serial killer had taken anna with him to kill people and bury bodies in the woods in the woods Anna has a lot of problems. Anna has a lot of problems. And she has a lot of problems with her family for obvious reasons. She believes that her mother was aware of what their father was. Uh, She probably harbors resentment towards her brother, possibly because she feels like he dodged a bullet and she had it worse. Yeah, because essentially in this episode, we get the sense that both of them have an issue with it. See, both of them feel that Anna was the one that was chosen. Like it could have been her or Damon. She was the one that was chosen, not, not Damon. So everything that has been bad has happened to Anna because simply by the fact that her father chose her. And well, and I'm sure it weighs on her as well. Why did he, why choose, did he her? choose her? Yeah. And th- why her of all people when you have someone so evil? I mean, how would that weigh on you as a child? Of course, growing up as well, having that and it becoming essentially part of your psychological makeup. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? And very easily, they could have actually gone the safe route and basically turned Anna into like this person who wants to get away from her life and doesn't want to embrace the the things that make her right but just like uh, throughout this episode you begin to realize that 
Anna kind of embraced what she was. I think she embraced it, but I also think she's afraid of it. I think that's yeah. what she's afraid of. I think that's her biggest problem is that she doesn't want to be this. She doesn't want to be evil, but why did he choose me? Why did he choose me? Mm-hmm. And that question probably makes her feel very uncomfortable because she may very well have evil tendencies, especially after that whole meeting. And we'll get to that in a moment with her mother. And oh, the mini reveals that that dropped on us. That was that was for me. The highlight was the the scenes with Anna and her mother. Yeah, dude. From what uh, from what we saw in episode one with the mom, and I thought that basically they couldn't up the creep factor of the mother figure. I was wrong. They doubled down on the mother figure in this one. She is um, Elizabeth Marvel. I love her. Yes. I find her strangely attractive too. No, not strangely. I find her attractive. <laughs> Listen, Dave, I, what I is just with you and like the scary one. I don't know. I find her attractive. I don't know what it is, but I find her hot. Um, so Elizabeth Marvel in an interview, because everybody's enamored with her for her performance, which leads me to believe that she just gets fucking better and better as the episodes go by. So Elizabeth Marvel, who's probably the biggest, I would say the biggest name on this series. Would you say that? Would you agree? Out of all the characters, um, the caretaker is also a pretty big name as well. Yeah. I think the two of them are probably the biggest names on the series so far. But she had said in an interview that when she signed on, she wasn't quite sure what to expect. And she said that she was waiting for the leash. And I'm paraphrasing here. And she read the script and she said, oh, I don't know how far I would get to go. She says how much leash they would give me until I started working and realized, oh, there's no end to the leash. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially saying that the showrunner and directors were like, fucking have at it. Fucking do your thing. And listen, actors live for that shit. If you say, if you give them guidelines, if you're a good actor, there are some actors that really need that direction because they may be inexperienced, they may be uncomfortable with going off on their own, but then you have those actors who are like, wait a second, really? You want me to do this? They love it. And she is really fucking good. I mean, she changes on a dime. Yeah. Her body language, it's it's intense. Her body language is intense, and Originally, I I thought that oh, it was the visual effects that was helping her, like in episode no, one. No, it's all acting, man. And I'm like going in this one, nah. Visual effects are there. I mean, they do the distortion thing, yeah. But it's all acting, honestly. When you finally fully get a to get to see her fully in action, I I realized in this episode, I'm like going. I I lauded and I applauded the the visual effects in the first episode. Here it's the goddamn acting. Yeah, dude. if you don't the need acting is just gorgeous in this one. If you don't need to use acting or if you don't need to use visual effects, don't let the actors do it. If they if an actor knows how to emote, they don't need visual effects to strengthen a look or. Uh, a look in the eye just have them act use yeah. the the subtleties of sound design to assist but other than that let them do the performance if you don't need those visual effects don't use them and i and i feel like that's what they're doing they're relying a lot on the actors to to do their thing and when you have capable actors like elizabeth marvel uh, Fuck, let, let them do their thing. Let them and do their thing. And that's definitely something that we got in this episode. And especially in the especially in the one scene that me and you were uh, just touched on in the very beginning of the show, the scene between Damon and Anna. Tom Austin and um, I think it's Sidney Lemon. Yeah. They have really good chemistry. And honestly, they're acting opposites each other. I get a really genuine vibe of a brother and sister mm-hmm. that are at odds. Yeah. And, but it's not like that, you know, stereotypical, oh, over the top, obvious smash in your mouth. 
these are siblings that don't get get along. I like obvious smash in the mouth. If you know what I mean. <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Especially apparently if it's Elizabeth, Elizabeth Marvel. Yeah, but. smash my mouth, please. <laughs> but like, and the and, and the coolest thing. Thank too, you, Dave, for just continuing. <laughs> just play it off. Play it off. But like, go past it. Go past it. And the 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 portrayal of Anna by Sidney Lemon. A lot of people, a lot of especially fans who knew Damon, uh, who knew the Hellstrom mythos, so to speak, were very questionable because yeah. could Sidney Lemon actually portray Zatanna properly? Because everyone has this very stuck in their ways viewpoint of how Zatanna should look. And that's how most comic book fans most are. Comic book we're fans we're are. very nitpicky when it comes to who you're going to be casting and how you're going to portray our characters. But. Sydney Lemon brings so much more than anything I've seen in the comics of Hellstrom for Zatana, the character of Zatanna. Yeah, well, she is. I will say that she's probably the. You no, know, she is the most interesting character. She's the most interesting in the show. Dude. I mean the the way they set her up, you know, in the first place, it feels like the show is revolving around her. And I don't know uh, about the comic books. Maybe you could fill me in if. The comic book is also like that. Does the story revolve revolve around her mostly, or is it Damon? No, it, it, it's usually Damon. But because like, they're definitely using her as the foundation. I yes. mean, everything is being built around her. The myth arc, for the most part, the mystery, the um, the emotional aspects, the fact that they give her this, this this entire setup that she, you know, was the one taken by the father, essentially kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Her and her brother were separated. We're seeing a lot of these emotional elements from her perspective. And then she was institutionalized when they finally got her back from the father. Then she went from foster home to foster home. And and, I mean, that's the idea that most of this episode centered around is is built on, at least in terms of character development, you know, building on our protagonist's uh, characterizations. I mean, these moments where we flesh out this characterizations are some of the best scenes in the episode. Sydney Lemon, as you said, and Tom Austin, I mean, were great in this episode. Absolutely. Their interplay in the diner is not only written very well, but it, it was acted beautifully. Their chemistry is fucking great. Yeah. It's charismatic. It helped us with the likability of both of them, which we needed uh, them separately in the first episode. That probably might have been, in retrospect, some of my issues with the first episode. Mm-hmm. It just separately, I didn't, f- I felt that there was a disconnect. But when you brought them together in this episode, it felt like everything worked. And possibly, if you're a good showrunner, you know what you're doing. Maybe that was the point. Hey, they belong together. They should be together. Maybe for not good reasons. Possibly there's a reason why you want to keep them separate, but there's a reason why things click when they're together. Yeah. And it makes the the story of Hellstrom more than let's be honest. The the the, comic book wise, Damien Hellstrom is front and center. He's the centerpiece of the Hellstrom mythos. Zatanna or or Anna in this regard is yeah David was please always, call her by a character name on the show <laughs> was always regarded as kind of like a bit player mm. like a ten percent of the comic okay but a side like, player a side player mm-hmm. but I feel that making it more about their relationship as brother and sister added so much more than what you get in the comics and that's rare. That is super rare, dude, as a comic book fan to see this rendition and take a character, take not just a character, but a character's history and add more bite to it. So is this one of those rare scenarios where they adapted source material and it might be slightly better? Yeah. This is this is one of those. Yeah. It, it, by episode two, I actually wrote that down in in my notes that this is actually a better rendition than the comic because I actually like Demon as a character more than I did than in his co- in his actual in his actual comics because Demon comic book wise, especially in the Midnight Suns, is kind of like eh, he's seen as that occultist that comes in and he has magic and 
you know, yeah. he's just another part of the Midnight Suns. Well, and also it's from a dated time as well, I'm uh-huh. sure. And it's not as, let's say, substance filled. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't been given a more mature run, correct? With no, Hellstrom? Not with Hellstrom. Yeah. So that's probably another reason why as well. So the, the writers are able to really do things with these characters that just, hey, just wasn't possible with whatever current run that they may be using as a source of, of inspiration. Yeah. And the way I see it is like the way that this show has treated the comic book characters and actually made them much more interesting than they, than their comic book counterparts. It's very reminiscent of what guardians of the galaxy was able to do with star Lord. Oh yeah. I'm going to be yeah. honest. Star Lord was boring <laughs> before the movies ever came out. But after the movie, suddenly you saw this influx of, oh, Star-Lord's such an interesting character. He's such a dynamic character. Yeah. That's because of the movie. It wasn't because of the comic book. <laughs> yeah. So that's good. I mean, that's what we want, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that moment in the diner bringing us back. I mean, yes, it was about the siblings and seeing them together, but it was a lot about Anna and seeing this charade that she was putting on. Obviously, the entire conversation was a bit of a farce. Uh, she had ulterior motives. Yes. Uh, she's investigating her own, I guess, potential that's connected to the. She's investigating things on her own that's potentially connected to the skull she found. Yes. Which is opening up to be, I would say, the major part yes. of the myth arc. This is this is the this myth is arc. The myth arc. It seems like everything is revolving around her in the way of the myth arc as well. The skull also is working on influencing Anna's business partner, Chris Yin. Again, revolving around Anna, who's falling into some type of brainwashed possession trance. Uh, he lied to the caretaker in this episode about the skull. Yep. So that's going to be a thing, and it's oh, probably dude. not going to end well. Dude, the moment he put the moment that scene when he takes the skull's teeth, mm-hmm. or he takes the skull and essentially makes the skull bite himself. Yeah. I'm like, I, Chris is possessed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that I'm not sure how possession works in this specific story in the world of Marvel. It's um, very strange in this. Uh, but in you this series, are, you yeah. said that it has everything to do with blood. Yes. So it does. It does compute. It does work. It does work. I mean, especially in the Marvel setting, blood is an important part of any ritual in Marvel magic lore, right? So I appreciate that they actually took the took that little tiny nod to us and say, "I'm we're gonna the 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 only way the skull further affects Chris, he needs to actually feed the skull his blood." Yeah. Which I'm like going, okay, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Creepy, but freaking awesome. And we also have some world building as well, which inevitably connected to the meth arc as well. I live for moments like this. The uh, subplot with the demon possessed man that died in a car accident. It was also a moment of compassion. It highlighted the important part of Gabriella Rossetti. Yes. The part that she plays in the group, we needed to figure that out as well. We weren't quite sure after the first episode. I'm like, okay, is she a foil to Damon? Uh, is she going to end up being an obstacle? Is she going to be one of those contrived elements that prevents our characters from doing what they need to do? But no, she's not. It seems to be like she is, seems to be that she is, or I should say the writers are working to make her be a bit of the human element. Yes. Yeah. You know, the fact that, hey, she's she wants to let the survivor pass peacefully. She keeps our heroes on the right track. I mean, again, we're dealing with essentially two individuals who are uh, teetering on the edge of good and fucking evil, not good and bad, but good and evil. When you look at their upbringing and, of course, all the illusions of who they may be connected to. Uh, Damon and Gabriella plan to free the soul. Before he passed. And I do like the ambiguity of heaven, hell, and the idea of souls when Gabriella said his soul and Damon reply with some, something like, and I'm paraphrasing, sure, yeah, you can call it that. But because 
we're dealing with the world of Marvel. And it's not as simple as that. Just like we're not dealing with, you know, necessarily the biblical aspects of demonology and demon lore. This is a Marvel comic book and the rules are written a little differently. So I like the idea that they didn't just full on subscribe to the notion of yes, heaven and hell and souls. It all is a thing. I'm, I'm liking the subtleties and the fact that did you catch that? That Damon said that yeah. when she said his soul we need to let him go to heaven and the soul. He's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That you can call it that. You could call it that. Yeah. I like that because when we, if we just had Damon say, yeah, let's send his soul to heaven or we don't want his soul to go to hell. It would spell things out in a way that would kind of diminish the effect of the show. Yeah, exactly. At least and at this moment, right? At this moment, because you also have to, they, they have to constantly move forward with explaining who Damon is. They've been doing a magnificent job with Anna, but Damon himself, they're not forgetting to actually throw in little things for Tom, uh, Tom Austin to further the further, I guess not the development, but the, the explanation of who Damon is yeah, and the type of person he is. And that moment that you brought up, that pretty much kind of alludes to the fact that number one, Damon knows more than Gabriel than what Gabrielle knows. But on top of that, on a flip side, does he might possibly he might not know? Yeah, like he's not even quite sure he's how not everything quite works. Sure. He's okay. just so jaded that he just accepts it for what it is. Accepts for what it is. Almost like what he sees, he understands, and he doesn't ask any questions. And he doesn't ask any questions. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of get that vibe a little bit. Yeah. And I like that. I like them, the heroes, not quite knowing exactly what they are and what their place in all this. And that, and that goes right back to Anna. I'm sure that's part of her problem. Like, what does this all mean about what is what does this all mean for me? Because we are given warnings. Number one with Damon during that scene with the the dying possessed soul. The one that marked him, it walked the earth long before us. They are coming and you will be consumed. And then we have the later scene with Anna and the mom, which also (laughs) offered insight where she says first generations are usually weaker. She's the favorite. Yeah. The demon inside the mom says that she sent people to the crypt not to set whatever was they're free, free but to kill it so now we have an entire thing going on yep whatever and- that skull was we have now two scenarios happening we have the possessed mother and her agenda and we have whatever's walking the streets, streets right now at- which are not in sync with their agendas obviously uh-huh. so does that make the mother now you said in the first episode you thought, the, thought the mother, mother was, gonna be was the, big, the bad. big bad. So possibly, what if she's not the big bad? She's definitely an evil force that they'll have to wreck. That will that that will have to be reckoned with eventually. But what if she's the lesser of two evils, and she actually has a fight in this game? Yeah, meaning she wants Damon and Anna to win. Because she knows their their lineage. Mm-hmm. And she's on team them in her own way. And whatever the fuck that thing is, it shouldn't be walking around. Exactly. Especially when... <laughs> Let's quit of, being coy here, okay? Like, spoilers, it's just, it is what it is, okay? Yeah. That skull is not Satan. It's not. I don't think so. Right. Because I feel like the affiliations are this. Damon, if you don't know, Damon is the son of Lucifer by this point. I mean, Damon, he's yeah. is a known name <laughs> that's connected to the devil to begin with. Exactly. Anna, Santana. I mean, these are names that are used uh, a lot. They are the, con- chil- the son and daughter of Satan. Right. So in the comic book. So we have this demon, right? Who yes. obviously is probably team Satan. Is some type of 
force that is preparing Damon and Anna to be whatever they need to be, right? Yes. The father is not back. That's my opinion. And the father, I'm assuming, let's say, is Satan. Whatever the fuck this is, is a threat even to Satan and his offspring. Yes. Is that kind of what you got as well? I kind of got that as well. Especially like, dude, that last, the last line of Victoria's to Anna, where she basically tells him he would be so proud of what you become. And I'm like going, okay, she wanted the thing in the cave dead, but it's obvious that but she also wants to bring something alive in, in her in and her. Anna. she wants Anna to recognize what she is. Exactly. And be proud of it. And if you and remember it, right. Which now takes us back to Damon when he was talking to the demon or the possessed soul, whatever you want to call it. Cause they still have not specifically said it was a demon, right? Yes. Yeah. We're not going to get that in a Marvel show. That's just the, the rules are different. The rules are different. It's a demon essentially, but I don't think they're going to straight up say that at least at this time. When the possessed individual told Damon that, what did he say? He mentions that Damon's sister and the promising new recruits, yes, are going to be a thing. So we now understand that Anna has a very scary part to play, and that her story can go either direction. Down a path of goodness, kind of the direction that Damon's going in, right? Choosing the right path or a darker path. A darker path, yeah. Especially the way it ends with her walking out of the hallway. And you can tell that the words of her mother affected Anna. And for the first time, first time ever in the two episodes, Mm -hmm. we see Anna... What's the word? Like vulnerable. Yeah, she actually is vulnerable. Yes. She looks weakened, weakened at that at this point. You know, this whole time, Anna has been portrayed as this character that I will do whatever it takes to to get my way. Well, typically she has a tough exterior. Yeah. And that was completely gone by the end of the by episode. By the end of the episode. Well, this is her weakest point, right? Number one, she has is she has mommy issues, number one. Number two, she has daddy issues. <laughs> This poor woman is just fucked. So when you throw all that into a box and you shake it up, you have all the problems that is Anna. And suddenly now you pull into question or bring into question what her purpose is. Exactly. And why her father chose her, why her father says, according to the this possessed mother, that she was the favorite. The favorite. What's she being groomed for? Why is she being groomed? Is she being groomed to com- to defeat this this villain that's out there right now? Or is she being groomed for a greater purpose? All these things are fucking interesting as hell, man. Oh, yeah. And this is how you write a show. Because there's tons of illusions, tons of hints. And none of it is like pretentious baiting. No. You know, where people want to be. We have so many writers nowadays on TV shows that try to be fucking David Lynch or fucking uh, David Fincher. And they try to pull the wool over eyes like uh, uh, a major reveal. And they don't really focus on the actual important things like true character development and internal uh, issues. And it feels like this entire thing revolves around Anna and her fucking problems and what choices she's going to choose. Is she going to allow the people who care about her, like her brother, assist her or is she going to fall dark, fall deeper into this? This darker path. Yeah. Into the pit with her father. Right. All right. All right. Let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, we'll jump into the rest of our discussions, our final thoughts, as well as some news articles. We'll be right back. All right. Get more Marvel and RMD when you... Head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital. Pledge anywhere between $1 to $10 a month. 
and help us stay on the air. It's the only way we can stay on the air is with the support of our listeners. So please consider heading over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital, and pledge. We now offer annual subscriptions as well. So if you want to get a whole entire year of support out there for us, 10 bucks under that dollar tier. And I won't nag you anymore. <laughs> if you want to get some more behind the scenes, $3 a month or $30 a year. You want even more, $5 a month or $50 for the year. And over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, RAINMAN, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her, and a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus... Free shipping! Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. We are back. Welcome, everyone. Back to the show. Dave, let's just delve right into our final thoughts. We are at that point. And then we have some news to get into uh, from the showrunner and his concept and also the possibilities of a season two. Go ahead, Dave. All right. Uh, Overall, with this episode, I'm going to do what I usually do and start with my score. My score for the episode is at 88. Damn. Very, very strong second episode, especially for like a, a Marvel show. This in two episodes, this particular show, when it comes to Marvel, hooks me. I mean, it just hooks me right in. This is what I really wanted out of Marvel when it comes to them diving into the darker side of things in their universe. When it comes to doing stories of like blade and ghost Rider and, and werewolf by night, moon Knight to some degree. This is the type of storytelling I want to see. My only, the only thing that when I took a step back and I basically said, okay, is there anything wrong with the episode that I could say, ah, eh, I wish that I wish the, uh, it could have gone differently. The episode focused solely on Anna and his development, which I have no problem with because it was treated very nicely. And for that character, I would not change a thing. However, because it focused solely on Anna, Damon kind of got lost in the shuffle. I feel in this episode. And that's why I lose a couple points is because this is about a, a series about the brother and the sister, not the sister than the brother or the brother than the sister. No, it's about both of them should be about both of them. And I think Anna's character just absolutely eclipsed Damon in this one, but in almost every way, in almost every way. But I give a lot of props that to Tom Austin, his portrayal of Damon in this one, because it didn't really hit me till towards the end because I was like going, oh, I didn't get enough of Damon till <laughs> what was going on with him and Gabriella. And while their storyline, their thorough line in this episode was action packed, you know, dealing with the demon, dealing with the issues between Gabriella and Damon. It didn't really touch into the relationship that I feel is the centerpiece of this entire series, which is the the relationship between brother and sister, their destiny as the sons and children of Satan, because that's what they are. That's what Damon's tagline has been for decades. It's spoilers. Yes. <laughs> so 88, I think that I, I really, really want to harp on the fact that I feel that this series has been treated not just unfairly by Marvel. We've made that, 
we made that uh we've talked about that in the first episode but i think this has been truly treated unfairly by the fans of marvel it really has by the fans of marvel well because they when seem you to, look they at seem the, to enjoy it the the overall audience the oh, audience yeah. right but i'm talking about the people who gave this a 33 oh th- those are the that's the crit- <laughs> those are the critics though but the see, critics are the ones who are not liking it. Now, this leads into one of the things I wanted to bring up to you is about, like, I honestly feel I understand now why this got a 33, because those critics are fans of what we got in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and in the Netflix universe. This series is nothing like them. It's no, nothing like no, that. No, you're right. The crit- the the critics probably are like, oh, I'm going to get to review this next Marvel TV show. Oh, my God. What is this? What is this? You know? And to them, what this is this? What is this, DC? Body yeah. mouth. And, you know, like, oh, this is just weird. It's creepy and weird. But it's it's missing the, I guess, the popcorn, what I call the popcorn element of the MCU, you know? There's this bright, happy, everything is shiny and rainbows and unicorns <laughs> yeah. and, and fart jokes everywhere. And this is one, two, three, wake up, one, yeah. two, three, one, two, wake three, up, wake up. And then like, so I feel that basically I want our audience to absolutely go out there, watch this season, show the show some love. Because show us some love. Yeah, show the show and us some love. And I really, really hope that they get a second season somehow by some miracle shot that they do. Okay. All right, Dave. Well, I give this episode an RMD score of 85%. It is a strong episode. And you and I are on the same page lately. The problems, the only problems I had, and honestly, Dave, critically, and I have to be objective about this as best as possible. Critically, the writing is fine. But I can't help but allow some of my knowledge of the series to interfere just a bit. Because you're dealing with a show called Hellstrom. Damon is the lead of the comic book. Now, the show can still be about Damon, and you're using his sister as a way to build the foundation of the series, and that's fine. That can work as well. That's a good way to bring in two characters, right? And make them both both important parts. But that being said, setting all that aside, Damon has not had nearly the amount of development now in two episodes. In two episodes, it's been Anna, Anna, Anna. And their mother. The mother has been, has absolutely yes. eclipsed character-wise. And I feel like in order for us to truly care 100% by the end of the season, we don't have much time to waste. We're dealing with a 10-episode season here. Damon's importance needs to be brought to the forefront very quickly. And he is being overshadowed by Anna, who is a fucking amazing a character. Amazing character. And I'm not saying Tom Austin isn't a fantastic actor. He is. It's not him. It's just the script. The script is literally designed completely Anna. around Anna. So we do need to make sure we bring his importance to the forefront a little bit more, whether it be, you know, he is the balance. Uh, he is the one that will save Anna from herself. We need to start getting those illusions fairly soon here because we are moving into the third episode of a 10 episode season. So 85%. It's a strong show. I, I enjoy the fuck out of it. I probably wouldn't even talk about the negativity if you can even call it that, if I was just simply watching the show, I probably wouldn't even think about it. But because we are reviewing, it is something you have to bring up. You have to look at it and you have to wonder why. Yeah. All right. So now you had mentioned a season two, Dave, and that you hope we get a season two. Well, recently there was an interview with one of our actors 
the gentleman that plays um, the business partner of Anna, Uwe, I believe is how you say his name, played by Chris Yin, was recently interviewed by uh, several media outlets. And the first thing they asked him was, hey, buddy, is there going to be a second season? What's the deal with that? And he says, number one, dude, he doesn't give any like he doesn't say anything that sounds like they're not. He says it completely essentially he says it completely relies on the audience. Now he could just be simply an actor and he just doesn't know the nuances of business. Excuse me. But in a recent interview he says there's always hope for season two. It all really depends on the audience. What we have going for us is that this show is unlike any other Marvel show. The MCU is a marvelous world. There are so many nuanced segments of the world that haven't been touched. This is one of them. It's scary and it deals with a lot of mature themes. That's something a lot of Marvel fans have been starving for. Dude, he gets it, man. That variety of the universe, he continues. There's so much more worlds for us to explore. This is certainly the beginning of something bigger. Yeah. I like that he doesn't just say, hey, we've been canceled. (laughs) Because there hasn't been any word that the show has been canceled. We're just simply assuming, you and I, Dave, because we have inside information. We are aware. We stay in the know with what Marvel is doing. And we know that Marvel TV has been shuttered. Yes. But it doesn't mean the series can't continue. And we all hope it will in some capacity. Now, if the series continues to be a hit amongst the fans, because it is critically, it's not a hit. No. But amongst the fans, Dave, I have scoured through the interwebs. And I haven't seen a single fan that has bitched about it. Yeah. Most of the most of the headlines for Hellstrom are a lot of reviews. A lot of reviews from critics saying calling the you know the show dull, one of the worst in years. Uh, I, what the, and, I, what are they watching? Yeah. David, seriously, what the fuck are they watching? And honestly, it's Marvel fanboys because they have this set idea in their mind how a Marvel show should be. These fucking critics have a very specific idea of what they think the MCU is and what Marvel is. And this fucking series doesn't compute. It doesn't match. So they're fucking flabbergasted. I still am appalled with my peers. We can call them our peers. How the fuck are they giving this series, Dave, a 33%? This is nowhere near 33%. That's the same grade the last fucking Hellboy got. Yeah. It's miles above, miles above the last Hellboy film. That's in humans level. The, The Fast and Furious franchise gets better reviews than 35% that was given to Hellstrom. And I'm telling you now, this show objectively is an 80 to 90%. And I give people a 10%, you know, range based on, you know, their own personal ways they review things, right? Yeah. Mentally. I don't understand, Dave. I don't either. You and I are very critical. And we will call people out on their shit. And I just don't see it in this series. This series is really good so far. And there's been there's been this weird movement to bomb the show because it's it's gone from like it's it's been jumping from 33 to 27 back to 33 back down below 30. And I'm like going. You're talking about critically critically on Rotten Tomatoes critically. yeah. Yeah. And I'm like going, I don't get it. Well, as of two days ago, I was talking to Bob about it, 
and uh, one of our producers and hosts on the network. And he uh, had looked at it and it was it went up uh, several percentage, several percentage points from the audience side. I believe it was up to 93 percent when I was talking to him. Yeah. And when you and I reviewed the first the first episode, it was 91 percent. So there's got to be a problem there, right? That's a huge fucking disconnect. How do you have that big of a gap? Something's not right. Something's not right. Oh, uh, wow. The audience score dropped to 88% now. But it's still better than a 33. Oh, and the average critic score critic score is 27% now on Rotten Tomatoes. Dude, that's not fucking right. That's not right. Dude, that is wrong. And that makes me sad because how many people go here? I'm like, oh, I'm going to check out Rotten Tomatoes before I waste my time watching a show that's shitty. And they see that 27%. And they're like, hmm. Again, we are talking based on the first two episodes. I can't imagine it falling apart. I can't. To a 27% rating, but yeah. I guess we'll see, right? And that's the thing. It's kind of like... Now, Dave, I'll admit, I watched ahead. I watched the third episode. It gets better. <laughs> I mean, I was blown away by some of the things they did in. And I'm not talking about visual effects. The show isn't big. The show is it feels like an indie film. A good indie film is what it feels like. But they find clever ways to make things work. And fuck, they sold a scene, Dave, that we'll get into next week <laughs> it's so good i don't know what people are saying i don't know what our what our fellow critics are seeing same here that's what it, it baffles me looking at it and i'm like going really really 27 percent? no 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 not even close not even close yeah i'm hoping if disney does see this that they are going by the audience reaction opposed to the average score the average from score. the critics. Yeah. All right. So uh, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Blood Rave. Where we covered the darker side of Marvel. Please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Leave us reviews. Also, please pledge to our Patreon page. A dollar or more a month will help us stay on the air. Thank you, David. Thank you. Ooh, so exciting, isn't it?